0: It's Guy here with another episode of Creative Forces. Hope you're good. In this episode, I speak to Blake Howard, uh, who is someone I was I was absolutely delighted to speak to because he's someone I've heard his voice so much over the last couple of years. uh, Because he has made he's the man behind my favorite podcast. Now, as someone who loves podcasts, that's a big thing to say. But it really is my favourite podcast, and I've listened to him a lot because the podcast in question is called One Heat Minute, where Blake, plus a guest in each episode, dissect one minute of the Michael Mann's 1995 crime epic, Heat, uh, starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, one of my favourite films, um, and a film worthy of this kind of you know uh, ex- close examination. And so I've listened to what all it's a long film there's 170 odd episodes I've listened to them all now and I as you'll hear in the interview I'd just finished the last one just before we started recording so it was a thrill for me to speak to, to Blake I love his work I love loved finding out how he started the podcast how he's gone on now to be involved in all sorts of other podcasts as a result how things evolved with the podcast because the sound of the podcast in the last couple of episodes is very different from the The sound in the first few because he really learned what he was doing as he went along so it's a fascinating chat with Blake I love talking to him it was a real honor because you know as I say it's my favorite podcast and I'm a big admirer of his work so this is me talking to Blake Howard Blake welcome to Creative Forces thank you for speaking to me
1: oh man it's a pleasure thank you so much um it's I like not being the podcast host sometimes. <laughs> it's really I was nice. Say, it's got
0: to be a change for you not to be the one, you know, driving. in control. Yeah.
1: I know it's sca oh, it's scary. You're you're in now, it's it's not like someone driving that you don't want to drive so you're like, "Oh, give me the give me the keys." Um but it's just really nice. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's 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 nice to come here and you're like, "I just want to talk about what you do and your process." And so I think if anyone yeah. knows there's only one person that knows exactly about the way that I do stuff, actually probably two if you count my wife, but like, so yeah, it's really <laughs> nice to be, it's really nice to be here and, and talking to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh,
0: it's great. And I've got to start by telling you that just, well, I, I think because we'd arranged this interview, it forced me over the line, but it's less than 24 hours ago that I actually finished listening to episode 177 of One Gosh. Heat Minute. Do I get some kind of certificate?
1: You're part of the crew for life, man. I ride a die for you forever. I can't believe it. Thank you.
0: I've got to tell you, it's my favorite ever podcast. You know, as someone who is, you know, I'm pretty much, you know, I make podcasts for a living. I'm pretty obsessed with podcasts, and it is my favorite podcast that I've ever listened to. I've never committed to anything for 177 (laughs) episodes. Look, man, I'm so, so,
1: I I, I genuinely am chuffed. I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know what to say because, you know, I did this so selfishly for me. Like there was, there's no, there's no other person in the world who wanted this podcast to happen more except me. I couldn't get the idea out of my head that I wanted to talk about heat in podcasts. And, and, and then when, you know, one of my friends inspired me and, and then we sort of found the name, the name became the process, you know, the process by which we did it, which is one heat minute, one minute at a time. Let's see if, and it had been done before, um, Uh, With other shows, uh, but a little bit, you know, shorter form and, uh, you know, a lot more consistency of the people who are involved. And I think people have broaden that out a little bit but it takes a level of commitment you know not a lot of people want to sign up they don't want to sign up for a 166 odd pre-credit movie and be like i'm gonna talk every minute for like two (laughs) episodes a week and dedicate like years of my life to this um but i was ready so that's yeah i'm thank you all i can say is thank you because someone out there was listening and it was you but it's also a lot of (laughs) other people but it was you so it's really nice
0: yeah no it's brilliant and you know i have to say it's an amazing achievement that you because yeah i mean having been involved in many many podcasts over the years the the fact that you carried on and finished it is is a huge achievement in itself <laughs> because most yeah. podcasts as you know they fizzle out quite quickly don't they often you know 10 20 episodes in and it suddenly becomes hard to do but you kept it going and, and obviously you've gone on to do a lot more since uh, having even having said you would never go back you you did go back and you have gone back quite a lot haven't you
1: I've gone back a fair bit. Yeah, look, it's <laughs> what it is, guys, is that you know I'm really passionate about cinema.
0: Mm. And
1: I do write a fair bit. You know, I still write and occasionally review things, but movie criticism is like an orchestra. Like when it first started out, there was you know, it's it's more formal and critical, like it's lecturing. And then it's obviously classical, you know, short form film criticism. And then, you know, th- thanks to the birth of the internet, more long form and more per- personal film criticism. That's what's sort of the best of it. There's like react, you know, there's, there's branches of it, which I don't really consider film criticism, like a YouTube reaction to a trailer, like, shut up. You're just <laughs> reacting to marketing, relax. Um, and, uh, but, but, but film criticism definitely has like an audio medium. And what I've found is in the orchestra of it, my instrument is long form podcasts. Like that's my instrument. So when I go back, I don't, I don't want to do a project ever where it's like, Blake, would you want to write a book about something? I'm like, yes and no. Sometimes you get the inclination that you could write long form about stuff, but then my medium is audio. Like I love, I don't know what, I don't know why. I I don't know why I love it so much, but I am obsessed. Maybe it's comedy albums. Maybe it's, you know, stand-up specials on cassette tapes that I shouldn't have listened to. You know, I I, <laughs> I literally ran her Eddie Murphy's Delirious out of the cassette, you know, like, a, you know, those sorts of things. But I love audio. And and so for me, it was just like, once I started doing it, there was this point, real point where people were like, you're going to keep doing this? And I'm also quite a stubborn person, to be honest. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah, fucking oath, I'm gonna do it. You know, excuse my language. I'm not sure if I can swear, but I was so, like, yeah, you I'm, can I'm, swear, co- swear it's fine I, I was like, of course I'm gonna do it. And 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 similarly actually, I was only 60 episodes into one heat minute. And I said, I know what my next project is. And someone and someone's like, what, what? And they were trying to guess, oh, is it a Michael Mann movie? I said, No, I'm doing all the president's men. And I said, mm-hmm. it's and it's called All the President's Minutes. And at the time, my friends are like, "Nah, you're not gonna do one more of these." And I go, "You bet your sweet ass, I'm gonna do that." That's why, like, that's me. Like, this is what I'm gonna do. I said I want to do something completely wildly different. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 kind of grown into this thing. This is my this is my medium. Like, I think about audio because I honestly think that there's something that it accesses. It's private. It can be really mm-hmm. resonant, and I love the medium because it has such fluidity. Like. When I first started experimenting with podcasts and doing like little shows that actually don't even exist on the internet anymore, um, <laughs> probably good that they don't. But, you know, we had the same problems It fizzle out because it's momentum. It's what are you going to talk about? It's this and that. And mm-hmm. my projects don't give me that now. They give me hives for thinking about how how big they can be and how I have to contain them. That's actually the challenge. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I contain this is another challenge altogether. So, but yeah, Heat has... You know, heat, my, it's not my fault. I would say it's not my fault that he just is, ha- is g- going beyond the show. It's because the show is something and then Michael Mann went and wrote a book, so more people want to talk about it and then p- more people knew yeah. about the show and, and I, I couldn't resist. It was irresistible, you know. When, when Guillermo del Toro is sliding into your Twitter DMs to <laughs> admire the work that you're doing, uh, it's a pretty surreal moment from a guy who That's lives in you know, it's it's a, it's a pretty weird and wonderful, miraculous thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, it's what I love about the fact, I mean, you got Michael Mann, the director of Heat, onto the final episode, which is an amazing thing, which I'll ask you about in a second. But it's also, what, what I love is having listened to all the episodes, you kept just throwing it out into the universe that Michael yes. Mann was going to be on the last episode, hoping it would come. And well, just almost, you know, seeing the, if the world would bring it to you and the world did bring it to you, which is a most, it's an incredible thing that that happened, that you got Michael Mann for that last episode. Just tell me, I'm not sure if you mentioned it on the podcast, but how did that come about or how, what, what was it like when you got that email or the message that said, right, Michael Mann is going to do it?
1: Well, I really early in the show, probably about, I want to say like, I can't remember exactly when, but it was one of the first times I spoke to Bill Iberi, um, mm. who's an mate, who's a mensch of a human being. He's the he's a <laughs> film critic. It was one of the film critics for Vulture. I was uh, he, sorry. He's currently a film critic, a really great chronicler of like the great masters. You know, he's a fantastic critic, just writer in general. Um, and he was like one of the best critics for the Village Voice. So you know. Uh, RIP the Village Voice itself but he's just one of the greatest film crit- critics alive. I actually get to call him a really dear friend. I've stayed with him. He's an amazing human being. And one of the first times we talked, he loved the show, really got behind it and threw his weight behind it, you know, just endorsing it when we were really early on. And we were talking even before that. He's like, "Oh, you got to get man for the show." And look, it's a really different thing when you've been an established critic. He's a creator. He's been a filmmaker, an assistant director, a director. You know those sorts of things, and 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 written so long, and has an amazing reputation. That sometimes there's a bit of cognitive distance of like, okay, well, I have access to these people because he interviews huge people or he reviews films, and you know you're in the United mm-hmm. States, so you build the relationships, and we have this weird relationship. And I would imagine the same things in England too is like. Uh, Maybe England more so because London is such a hub of international film as well. But you kind of have this thing was like I have to go through like way more layers to get even to the door. Like (laughs) when you know it's like it is like a heist. Like I don't get to go. To for me to get to the person that gets to access Michael Mann, I've got to go through. I've got to go through 10 layers of things in security to get to that. And so Bilger sort of joked, like, I oh, should get Michael Mann for the last episode. And I started saying it, like, yeah, he'll come on the show. And people are like, oh, Michael Mann will hear about this, and he'll want to be on the show. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, it sounds ridic- patently ridiculous. So I was just like, I'm just going to keep saying it, and we'll see what happens. But then I get a random message from Bilger because he's about to interview Michael Mann for – I can't remember what it was. It might've been an anniversary of like the insider or something like that. And he said, I'm going to interview Michael Mann tomorrow and I'm going to tell him to do your show. And what do you do with that? Right. You just laugh. You do exactly what you did, which is laugh and go, whatever, man. Sure. Like, okay, cool. You're going to tell Michael Mann to be on my podcast. Whatever, Bill go like, I love him. And he was so great. And his endorsement, you know, Mm -hmm. brought attention to the show and people, you know, listened and it resonated, and so I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, man, sure, okay, cool, yeah, thanks." You're you're gonna get Michael <laughs> Mann on the show, Bill. You know, you imagine if one of your like, and Bill is not like this because this is why he's miraculous and why he's such a man. She's like, if it was one of your blow blowhard mates at the pub, you would be like, "Shut up, okay, cool, yeah. yeah, he'll come on the show, whatever." Um, but I then get a at the time my son was had just been born. It's a couple of years ago now and my son had been born and he was a toddler. And I remember having pretty restless sleeps as you do when you've got a little Mm -hmm. one. And my kids are only about 18 months apart. So, you know, our house was pretty, pretty busy, but it was not exactly getting significant sustained sleep. And I remember my phone buzzing and because I was restless, I looked at it and it was Bilger emailing me with, like one of Michael Mann's inner circle contacts saying, I spoke to Michael Mann about the show, you know, call me when you wake up or whatever, but he's definitely keen. He's going to come on the podcast. And I like lost my mind and I called Bilger and Bilger told an amazing story of like, I told Michael Mann about the show and he smiled. He had a genuine smile on his face. Like, wow. Like, you know, like he was impressed because he's he's obsessive. He's an obsessive, yeah. creative person. And so the yeah. fact that one of his pieces of art had created this equally obsessive and in enduring and lengthy sort of study of his film, he was kind of chuffed. He was like, oh, this is nice. And it ended up happening and it took many, 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 many months of agony of like trying to organize it, trying to get the right time, trying to make it happen. And and yeah. and 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 literally me sitting like you at at, at at on one side of a thing and waiting for a thing and then getting an hour an hours notice of like okay he can't do it today, we're going to have to push it back. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And the time clicked down. It took, you know, it was like six or seven months before we recorded that I knew that he was going to do the show. So I was like, oh my God, this is just going to perfectly line up. Look, the stars are going to align. How how unbelievable is this? But it was very stressful. And then when he finally came on the show, he was absolutely, you know, people say don't meet your heroes, but he was absolutely such a charming and generous and sweet man about the entire process and i was Mm -hmm. like the day i released the episode which you just caught up with the day i released it i released it on purpose on my son's birthday which is the 6th of july which is now like oh my god it's like three years ago yeah and when i released it i hit go and i left my phone in my office and I went and did my whole son's birthday and I just couldn't look. I just couldn't look. Yeah. I knew it was there. I knew the interview was great. I'd done some gotten a bit of press because people knew that he was coming on the show and it was this fairy tale ending that I could not have ever have planned for and couple of my nearest and dearest friends people who inspired me to do the show were here and we were Mm. drinking expensive whiskey and celebrating with my family that my son was there no one in my family knew what the hell was going on except for my wife but my friends who were film nerds were here and it was unbelievable and then i looked at my phone and it was like it was the most overwhelming beautiful series of people just being Equally overwhelmed that he'd done the show and and people who'd ride or died with us for that all those episodes and yeah man it was incredibly special
0: yeah but it's an incredible achievement um, yeah I'm so made up for you that he did it and it was a great interview so you know well done on that as well it was it was a great listen I actually Thank listened you. to it twice I did I listened to when I saw that because when I was a few episodes in and, I, and I'd committed but then I realised you had Michael Mellon on the last one I went and listened to that I, jo- I went out of sequence. But then I listened to it again yesterday once I'd listened to 176 and it was still it was still worth listening to because, you know, as you can probably guess from me listening to all 177, I do love Michael Mann. So I love hearing him speak about his projects as well. And you're right. If any director was going to do it, it was probably Michael Mann, isn't it? Because he is a man of obsession. He loves detail. He loves, you know, the, the immersive nature of all his films this is this is his project this this is the the direct- this is the project for this director
1: It's the perfect marriage of content yeah. the filmmaker and 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 the way that we do it like we were obsessed and you know even yeah we then recorded like i i, I call our series last twelve minutes of the Mohicans, which is the one that immediately <laughs> followed one heat minute i i, I yeah I, that could have been that could have been so much longer. But we just again focused on the last twelve minutes. That's all we wanted to talk about, and so I ended up it was like twenty four hours of people, amazing people, by the way, and Michael Mann again coming back on the show to talk about that. So it was like, it was it was ludicrous. Like it was it was I I was I have I was and have been spoiled, really, Um, but you know that's it's. You know you can't you can't make this up. I don't know how to no. say it any other way, but like you can't make it up. He's the only person you know as it, when I first started, he was the only filmmaker I wanted to talk to and mm-hmm. i've spoke since spoken to so many amazing filmmakers about amazing films and he was the only guy that I wanted to talk to, and it happened and I don't even know what to say about it anymore other than like it was it's insane like i, I it's one of those things you can't you can barely believe it's it's yeah. incredible.
0: No, I did actually take a break from one heat minute and listen to the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. They're amazing as well. So, yeah, well done on those. Um, Thank you. But just, let's take it back then because, you know, you are obviously someone who loves film. So where does that love mm. come from? Is that something that you was a big thing in your house growing up or is that something that you found for yourself? You know, how, where does that love of cinema or movies come from?
1: It starts on illegal double taping Betamax rentals is where it probably starts um it's you know i i was always a movie kid movies were big in our house my dad loved movies my brother was obsessed with movies we had a betamax player we used to you know record things off the television and re-watch movies over and over again you know very early days you know when i was a kid i would you know watch the star wars movies that were taped off television there were even scenes that like i never saw in star Wars until we bought the official like VHSs. And I was like, what happened? But it was like, someone was like (laughs) recording it on TV and pausing the ads out and we're doing a bad job. Like, so we missed scenes and you know, that was my, that was where I really grew. And uh, you know, movies were a campfire and you know, they became like my language and it became something that, you know, certain things, I don't know where it comes from. I'll, I'll relay a story, a present story about my son, my son love, um, and his sister before him, like when they go to bed at night, um, I'll let, I I used to let my daughter watch an iPad and it's kind of just like a pacifier, right? It's just like, rather than they just go to bed, we sometimes read a book before bed and then I'll like put a movie on and within half an hour, usually they're both asleep. Not my son. My son stays awake longer than his sister watching the movie. Sometimes he finishes them and I have to go turn it off and say, no, dude, there's no more, you need to sleep. (laughs) But like, there's this weird thing where on an iPad, if you've ever used one and you're watching a movie mm. that you've downloaded, you can double tap on the screen. It's a recent phenomena, but you double tap on the screen and it makes it larger. It like pan and scans it like in the old days where there was no widescreen mm. on a television. It just like turns the pan and scan. And my son goes, no, dad, no. And I go, what? what? And he goes, no, no, don't do that. And I'm like, do what? you wanted to watch Spider-Man, dude. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, he's like, no, no. And he went and he touched the screen because the aspect ratio was wrong.
0: (laughs) Now I don't know where he got,
1: he wants letterbox. He doesn't want pan and scan. And I have no idea (laughs) why I don't understand. But movies was they're my lang they were my language they were the the one thing mm. that I love more than anything else. TV shows, yeah, sure, like I, whatever. But like I was so obsessed with Star Wars. I was obsessed with Rocky. There's a great Australian classic film called The Man from Snowy River. I was obsessed with that. I used to just love movies and 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 you know I was a little bit younger than my brothers and sisters. My brother's eight years older than me. And my sister's six years older than me. My brother was obsessed with Star Wars because my dad was obsessed with Star Wars and and mm. and I was you know I I, I love those movies and but you know I'd go visit like cousins and grandparents and this is the vhs era and you start going okay you know i'd go to my my grandma's house and she was like a little sweet old maltese woman and she had like one of those tvs that had a vhs player in it and like i'd you know get minded by her and be bored as batshit in my nan's house like what am i gonna do and i would just she had old vhs's of old movies and I'd watch them and so Mm. you know i really curated this love of movies and i would watch them and be able to pour into them and be, and really process the information and remember a lot of the details. And, and so, you know, there's probably lots of people that are like that now, but I had a real great attention. I could focus, like I could sit in front of a movie and watch a whole movie. if I liked it, I could watch it again. So it's really early age. Like, I don't know exactly when, but I loved movies growing up. I loved all about it and I could consume them. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was just all my life. I became really interested and fascinated and, and then probably I don't know, I would have been late-ish high school. Like I even my my brother, who's older than me, he loves movies too. Um there's kind of two things happen. One, he got a job at a video distribution warehouse. And this is like old school, people are gonna freak out. But like <laughs> VHS distributors back in the day would not get the final version of the thing. They would get what like they would get what were called time code tapes. So the video store would send would get sent time code tapes of all the movies, and then I guess, for inventory reasons, would then watch them and go, Oh, I want 20 copies of Jurassic Park, right? Like that's the example. Like Jurassic Park probably, which I think is the largest selling VHS ever, was like probably yeah. a little bit Uh, you know, on the cusp of that, but they would do these time code tapes. They'd send them and the whole goal was like, you eventually just chuck them in the bin. But my brother used to work there and get them because they were just chucking them out. And so he'd just bring home like mountains. This is 92, I think he started his job. Mountains of like what was then like new, new Hollywood, right? Like the, you know, Tarantino era, Rodriguez era, Kevin Smith era, Miramax era. And he would just bring home all these VHSs. And I just watch everything like so i so where some people were watching you know some people like these days you can watch a movie a day and watch 350 movies a year and because you got streaming services and everything's accessible but back in those days you wouldn't do that like you'd watch like two movies a year at the movies if you're lucky or three or four if you're a school kid you go to the school holidays whatever you watch movies on tv but i used to watch everything i had access (laughs) So, uh, so it was like those things, and 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 my brother who worked there, he he would was tinkering for a while with the idea of going to film school, and I kind of didn't even think of that. Um, but then you start getting interested, like, oh well, filmmakers, right? There are people whose movies resonate with you. Why do they resonate with you? And You start just digging, and you have that natural curiosity. So, yeah, it's a really weird like confluence of things. It was just it was definitely a family thing, um, but I also have, I was lucky I had access to stuff, and then I just had this. I watched an immense amount of films, probably an unhealthy amount when I think back on it. But (laughs) yeah, I watched everything. At a way young age, I watched absolutely everything. So that whole era, like I probably missed like, you know, in in the span of about five or six years, I think I probably saw like 80% of what was released in the cinema, like easily. Um, And probably (laughs) another 30% of stuff that wasn't. You know, like yeah. that wasn't released. I saw that too because it went straight to VHS. So, <laughs> yeah, I I just curated and cultivated this kind of taste, this palette for movies, and became super familiar with it. And yeah, I was always just really passionate about it. I could never quench it. I was, I I
0: loved yeah. it. And you went on to study it, didn't you? Or you, yeah, I went you to university. A university I... thesis, didn't you? On on heat. That's how the the, the sort of heat, you know, yeah. analysis. Yeah, well, I was it wasn't? I guess. <laughs>
1: it wasn't just on heat that thesis, but yeah, I, I went to university. I was studying just like a bachelor of, uh, I was doing like a bachelor of arts, majoring in English. I thought I might be a teacher. I didn't know what the hell I was going to be, to be honest. Like I was quite lucky. It looks like it was one of those things, but then I did a film and history course. Cause I started out as an English and history major and I, I did a film film history course just with a really terrific lecturer who kind of passively loved movies. Um, he's a great, a great lecturer, Philip Dwyer, who's actually in my upcoming series on Master and Commander. I sought him out because I wanted to talk to him. One of the mm. great Napoleonic chroniclers. has a couple of Napoleon biographies out there. And uh, yeah, we did this course called Film and History, and I mm. loved it. Like I found myself, you know, loving that film wasn't, this cultural artifact was accessing all this historical, socio-political stuff and it was a real access point for me and an entry point into talking about that, whether it's the time they're depicting or the time it was made. Um, and I just loved it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to change my major. So then I became an English and film major, um, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, took to it like a duck that goes to water. And I was really good. And and then at the time, I had another really good lecturer who said, hey, I think you should do a th- I think you should go to the honors. I think you should do an honors. You know. Um, And I was like, oh, what the hell's honors? I don't know what that is. Anyway, basically honors, if anyone knows, it's kind of like a bridge to masters, but you're kind of young, right? I was pretty young at the time. So it was like, you're going to do your honors. Okay, you're going to graduate with honors. It's basically a year long project. And I said, I wanted to do, I wanted to do a study of authorship and masculinity. And I thought that Michael Mann was a great entry point into that. So I started doing that. And that was an amazing experience because Basically, it required me to do what I used to do when I was a kid, which is sit in a freaking library all day watching the entire back catalogue of new Hollywood 1970s movies on terrible televisions in bright halogen lights <laughs> and then reading about them <laughs> and pouring through yeah. history of the United States and, uh, and uh, Australia and England and the Western world and just the war in Vietnam and Watergate and all those things that are so informative to me. I had to kind of pour myself into it because I thought there was this great sociopolitical thing that was happening. And anyway, by the end of that, um, with a great help from my supervisor, Hamish Ford, like I got a really great grade and uh, I, I got on as first class and I, uh, yeah, I, I thought at that moment I might go into academia, but then I was like, I need money because <laughs> I'm not a well, like a, <laughs> not a traditionally well-off person. So I was like, I need money. I need mm. to work. And so, then when I start, you know, I was still, when I was working, I still found it was pretty empty because I was working, but I wasn't passionate about the industry I was in. I was just like, well, how do I monetize doing? this? I was just working. I worked, a, I worked in a financial institution for a long time, like just to pay my way through uni basically. Um, mm. And then I went into that full time because I was like, I just need money. Oh my God, I was so poor. And uh, I just, you know, oh, sorry, not poor. I was broke. And so I got myself, got myself together and, yeah, then I just started tinkering with film criticism because I'd moved to Sydney and I was like trying to push that. And I, yeah, then I, a couple of things happened. One, sort of the internet blogging, movie blogging, you know, ecosystem exploded. Podcasts had just sort of started, you know, started out and, you know, people weren't, you know, didn't have the technology and it wasn't on me present yet. And then I started working in radio, doing a podcast for a Sydney radio station with a really experienced, long running film critic named Dale Sindon, who became like a mentor of mine. And we did, he basically taught me how to, he taught me how to review movies for radio for people who mm-hmm. were listening and consuming. And so, yeah, it was kind of that. And then I was always on the fringes. I was sort of tinkering and building my reputation as more of a written critic for many years after that. And did work with Dale for a little bit, did another podcast, which did quite well in Australia with my best friend, Maria Lewis, who's a um a really prodigious journalist and author and things like that. Yep. So she's she's been around my life for you know since back then and and then I my daughter was born and I wanted to do something that I actually cared about. Otherwise I was just gonna hang it up and just be a movie consumer <laughs> mm-hmm. and a physical media nerd who like collected stuff and loved it. And uh, otherwise I was kind of like I'm done. I don't really I don't care. I don't care about how many stars I gave the latest Marvel movie. No one cares. Like mm. I don't want to talk at all, you know, the latest big blockbuster. Like I, I just, a lot of that stuff, you know, a great film critic who I love and is, a, I can consider a dear friend is Walter Chaw. Um, mm. who's a United States film critic. Amazing, amazing, amazing critic. But Walter talks about, you know, uh, one of the bits of advice he gave me was, you know, about his, his process as a critic. He's like, I, I write, there's kind of two film ways and there's middle ways, but like the extremes of this, if a film lives for you, you have to describe how it's like, it's like a scientist describing the magic of the body working, right? It's alive. There's electricity. There's a momentum. There's a heartbeat. It's, mm. it's alive. Like something can be so alive for you and that's exultant. It's joyful. It's alive. And he's like, but then on the flip side, Then sometimes you're a coroner doing an autopsy on a corpse. And, (laughs) right, that's the flip side of being a film critic because everyone gets into this because they love what movies can do and mean for them. I just Mm -hmm. want to dissuade anyone. No one gets into it because they like panning stuff. Panning is sometimes fun, but it's also mm. shit because no, no one wants to make anything and spend a lot of time making something that sucks, but sometimes it happens, yeah. you know, yeah. and you just have to move on. Um, and I just, yeah, I what had happened with me is I, I was seeking out this project. I, I didn't know what one heat minute was, but when I found yeah. it, I'm like, I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> There's nothing else I want to do. This is this yeah. is what I was made for. It was like the all those conversations I'd had being the film nerd of my friend group, the time with Dale this internet blogging, all the things that had been, you know, that had caught people's attention when I would, gave raves for things that really moved mm-hmm. me. I was looking for something that I could I could pour this campfire positive energy into and I didn't Mm. want to do these like glib takedowns that's not who I am and most film critics I know that have to do takedowns they don't enjoy it it's not fun um it's the things they love doing is writing about movies that are great and that they love and I was like how do I find that for myself and I stumbled into this thing I stumbled into it
0: well that was I was going to ask you that because I in some ways I've gone through a similar process so you know I worked in radio I've done writing but then at some point with podcasts but with this podcast particularly but with my podcast company that I now run, I suddenly had a moment where I thought, "Right, well, I've done all this different stuff for different people, but actually I could just do this myself. I don't yes. need anyone else to do this. <laughs> and I remember that moment happening to me thinking, actually, I have all the skills. And for the great thing about living now is that for relatively uh, little money, you can get... Good equipment to record really good audio, can't you? Yeah. And so I just thought, actually, yes. and you can upload things pretty much for free to the internet, all on, onto all podcast platforms. You can distribute to the entire world. And I remember that moment of thinking, actually, I can just do this. I don't need anyone else. D- did you have a similar moment when you were just like, actually, I've, I've built up all this stuff. I can just do this myself. This is one heat minute. I can just make and see what happens.
1: I never thought about that part of it until much later which Mm. is there's a thing that happens for film critics very specifically. It's a tenuous thing. Unless you write for a massive publication internationally, locally or internationally, Mm. there is sometimes like a you you do have to foster the relationships. So if you're a contrarian critic or you give massive pans to huge movies, sometimes your name miraculously disappears from the list that gets you advanced screenings. (laughs) You know? yeah. It's so like people play this journalist, dance. isn't it? You, you've yes. got to
0: be in bed with the club to an extent, haven't you? You can't criticize the club too Two. much or you get banned from the press conference.
1: Two. 100%. Yeah. And that's real. What One Heat Minute did was the first thing was I found a project that I love and I can do what I like to do in the best way mm-hmm. possible, which is to talk about movies, to talk about filmmaking craft, to talk about the detail that goes into great movies, to, to scrutinise something that I love with a very analytical eye and only be rewarded more. And also, there is nothing like a minute of a movie that you can get your guests to pour themselves into because all it mm. is is a portal into your guest and yeah. a portal then yeah. into the film. And it becomes this amazing, like, technical feat. It's like, you know, sometimes... I've got some great friends who I've made through the process, like in- incredibly well researched. So, like for example, you you do a project about a filmmaker, you watch every one of their films, you read as much as you can about them, and like I do a lot of that homework myself continually for everything that I do. And then sometimes it's just nice to go, let's just pour ourselves into this one movie, let's talk about it or one performance in it. But that's yeah. what one heat minute was liberating for, and I found it with all of my guests is that like you've just got this thing, but after one heat minute, I'm like, I don't care if. I never get invited to another new film ever again. (laughs) I don't No one. There's no currency that anyone can make me do something that I don't want to do. If I don't have a heart in it, if I don't want to do it, I'm not working for anyone else. I'm working for me. I'm doing what I want to do exactly on the terms that I want to do it. And if you don't like it, Okay. Yeah. because there we have an audience and I don't want to go and do some other kind of shows. I, I And, you know, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but like the evolution of the way that I make shows is mm. wildly different. Um, and that's been part of the topics and part of me just wanting to push myself or what scares me and excites me. So therefore like lean in. But that's been so liberating. I'm like, what are you going to do? Cancel my access to Michael Mann movies? You can't. <laughs> It's done. You don't. You only care about the immediate money-making thing. And guess what? I'm an avid movie fan. And if there's a movie that interests me, I will go and I will pay and I'll go see it. And the time that I go see it, I don't care if it's not at a you know a swish screening with media walls and you know a, a bit of social lubricant to maybe hopefully tip those reviews from a three to a four star. Like I don't care. Like I I just bought The Running Man on 4K. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of person that I am, you know. Like it's a 124 minute, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like you know, barb fest. It's it's yeah. That's who I am. Like I don't mind. I'm okay, because I think what um you know you can only take the. It's that old university thing of like it's a peer reviewed paper. Like my my some of the friends I have made and the peers that I've made and I guess the the reputation that we have now for everything that i produce whether it's actually me that is the hosting engine or not um i'm just really proud that like we've been able to carve our little very small patch of this orchestra out and we kind of do the very best that we can do and we have a lot of respect and uh, with filmmakers and and with and 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 generally with film criticism uh, more broadly and the people who love our shows get excited about our enthusiasm and excitement for what we talk about. And I'm just like, I don't need to participate. I don't need to do another. No one needs another Star Wars show. It's fine. Like the the people who are doing it are actually the, the legit passionate people. No one needs another Marvel show ever, you know, because there are enough of those passionate people that are out there doing it. And, you know, There's Star Wars minutes and Rebel Force radios for Star Wars, and then you've got like the amazing folks over at The Ringer doing the you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe deep dives, and there's real people who have real investment in that, and they're doing it with a lot of care and a lot of passion. And I'm just not that guy. I'm the guy who'll stay over in. I'm the guy who's like, okay, well, do I do Manhunter as a mini series? You know, like it's like that's what I want to do. I don't want to talk about it. You know, most of the things that I have to do is, you know, I, I find something that is just solely something that i'm interested in and i and i find ways to talk about it with great people and then if i develop bigger projects i i do my best to get in in front of the filmmakers because that's where i get really excited as well because it's just infusing that a, a, and analysis with being able to sort of get in front of someone and celebrate them because i feel like anything that resonates deserves a celebration
0: yeah i mean this is it isn't it you're so right it's digital technology is so liberating in this way, isn't it? Because, you know, there there are obviously some negatives to digital technology, particularly around social media, whatever, but in terms of allowing people um, like yourself to, with a passion for something, to create something of value to an audience, you know, in your own time and doing it completely on your own terms, but to a, a good enough quality that, people like myself can enjoy it for hours and hours and hours it's it's incredible yeah. isn't it you know the 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 sort of doors it opens for people who like us who want to create stuff that we are passionate about it's an incredible thing
1: oh yeah but now it's like i don't know what i would do it's yeah. such it's such a beautiful creative outlet like i think if i if i was a painter i wouldn't be able to move for the canvases you know, in my office (laughs) that I feel like if I I was that kind of person, but for me it's podcasting projects and it's like trying not to, you know, trying to find the things that really still scratch the itch and then also stretch myself because that's, that's something that I've, you know, while the minute podcast is something that I could do with my eyes closed. And I, I there was truly the most, like one minute, I mapped it out two episodes a week. You know, I want to do it over this two year period or just under two year period. I want to do it in this time. But then for example, like my next project that it was long form was all the president's minutes. And I, mm. I did like 134 episodes in a year <laughs> with international guests and people oh who are involved in the gosh. film. And it, and it, it, all in the middle of the United States election cycle, which was part, partially influencing the immediacy of having to do the I and mean, the desire to do the project because I wanted to talk a lot about politics and socio-politics mm-hmm. around the globe and, you know, this. And, and so that was, ins- <laughs> that
0: was <an> insane.
1: <laughs> that was an insane show. With a job even, and
0: a family as well.
1: Yeah, I just don't sleep. Or like, you know, <laughs> this is what people say. No, I, I do. I do still get a bit f- fair, fair bit of sleep, but people say, "Well, like, what do you do?" I'm like, "Well, you know, when you go home and you veg out and you read a book for two hours, I'm recording something. Mm. And you know, when you sleep in on a Sunday, I don't. You know, and you know when like you sleep in on a Saturday, I don't. And you know, on a weekday you sleep in, I don't. Like, I wake up at, you know, right now I'm in a particularly, I'll just you know say to you like particularly dumb cycle of like I want. I want certain things to happen. I want to prepare a couple of shows that are happening right now. And I have a lot of recording to do because I want to have a, I actually want to have a genuine summer holiday with my family um, Mm. coming up in Australia, like where I don't do anything, but to, to maintain our podcast, Like I, I love our listeners and I love our patrons who support us. Mm. And so I want to make sure that there's like cool content that's coming up for them And I also want to liberate myself of like some of the projects that have kind of been promised, but I haven't been able to deliver yet because I've been waiting. So I'm like, I'm recording like a maniac between now and the 15th of December so I can have a break. And, Mm. you know, so I'm recording almost every day, you know, uh, a podcast. I have recorded one today. This is my second. Um, So yeah, like I'm I'm recording every, you know, every single day, hours at a time, and then going back and pouring over it in the edits. And some of them are really easy to edit and some of them aren't because they take a lot of time so yeah it's just you know giving myself the best chance to have the best product and deliver the best shows that people love and really you know can cherish is is what i'm all about
0: yeah well and you make loads of under one heat minute productions you make quite a few shows now don't you you, you're still involved sometimes but not always in front of the mic are you sometimes you're more on the production side is that right
1: yeah so what happened was all in this like really short time, um, I we finished one heat minute. I was doing all the president's minutes and we did last twelve minutes, of the Mohicans. And then Travis Woods, who I think is one of the best critics around, um, who is a friend, he was like, Oh, I was thinking about doing a podcast. And I said, Look, I've got an idea for you. I want you to do increment vice, which is inherent vice, a scene at a time. And I said, I would do it. I would do it, but I'm too deep in presidents. I can't, I, I I physically can't do it. I said, but you should do it. I said, there's only one other human that I would like listening to doing it, that I'd be okay with it. And that's you. And so I gave him that idea and emboldened him to do it. And we created a vibe for that show. And I literally got to be a guest on it a couple of times, but I I mm. I just steered the show. I just wanted it to have a vibe. I wanted it to have a sound. I wanted it to have a a quality to it. And so I edited it and it was pretty loose and pretty deep and pretty long, but people really liked it. Um, And then I, and then I again did the same thing with one of my best mates, Maria Lewis, who's gone on to do another series in the same vein um, with a, with a radio uh, production house. But we did, I I said, she loved Josie and the Pussycats. And I said, (laughs) you've got to do Josie and the Podcats. And she's like, oh, I don't know. And we spent like a year getting interviews and getting it all together. And I said, let's release it now. Like middle of the pandemic, let's release it now. Let's finally get this thing out there. And so then that was a very hyper edited 12 episode, like it was six full episodes, 12, you know, six bonus episodes, a 12 episode series. And we just made it relentlessly. I Like she was the host. I was on there like a couple of times, like doing little bits and interstitials and, you know, vamping and whatnot, but we scripted the show. We transcribed every interview. We cut it like it was a film, like it was an audio documentary. And then when that happened, that and it was good, I was like, ooh, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we then went on to Zodiac Chronicle, which was sort of a bigger, larger, more ambitious version of that. Um, and, yeah, since then, it's, you know, Miami Nice with Katie Walsh has been going great, which is sort of like a modern man campfire now where we talk about Miami Vice all the time with a whole bunch of different great guests. My friend Alexis Toliopoulos and I do a physical media show for an Australian boutique label here called Imprint Films who just release amazing things out of the archives that have only been on DVD before or never been you know, beautifully transferred onto Blu-ray. And, and so we work with that. And yeah, since then, it's just kind of been bouncing from project to project, some of them short, only a couple of episodes, some of them longer. Um, and yeah, and so I'm kind of, I'm really fascinated. I've got a secret project I can't talk about as well, but Mm -hmm. I'm kind of really fascinated with like sometimes stepping away from the mic if I, if I can and just orchestrating something that I feel like is something that can be really like listened to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I've been able to maintain that pretty well of like, I do like my long form podcasts that keep them pretty tight, but I also love me a, really highly tightly edited fast paced bang, 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 you know, audio documentary style thing and never quite getting to the radio of it all. Cause I don't really like the like, Oh, you, you know, radio, of it all. I don't like that because that's <laughs> yeah. not my rhythm. Um, no. but I do like, I love these little tight audio docs and, you know, my friend Maria inspired me. She's, sh- she's one of the most unbelievably hard workers. If you think I work hard, she's kind of <laughs> crazy, but, um, we, we just pushed ourselves to do something that was really insanely ambitious. And, you know, there's some, there's like catnip, you know, my, my wife, I told my wife that we're going to do it. My friend was living with us at the time during the pandemic and my wife was like seeing us go crazy and bickering and like the productive process of that was, you know, that was hard because Maria was doing so much writing. It was a lot of pressure on her and I was doing a lot of editing. It was a lot of pressure on the edits. And we literally turned over the first episode and got my wife to listen to it the first time with us in the room. And she's just like, she listened and it went for like 26 minutes or something like that. And she took it off and she's like, this is the best thing you've ever done. This (laughs) is not what I was expecting. And that, this is not what I was expecting. was like, it was like, bing. I was like, ooh, you know, ooh, that's nice. This is not (laughs) what I was expecting. And so, yeah, I think that that's, You know, that's been really exciting is actually me. Every time I look at a project now, I don't look at, I just look at what the best version of that project could be in the way that I want to channel what I want to talk about. And sometimes that means the show is 24 episodes and sometimes that means it's 12 and sometimes it means it's six or sometimes it means it's nine and it's not prescriptive. It's just what is going to make the best version of that for me? Yeah. And so that's where I find myself now is leaning into more of that. So there's like some static shows that we do, very traditional side of podcasts, but I find myself being like, you know, podcast impresario, as I've been called by my great friend, Bill Giberi. Um <laughs> podcast director. Like this is, I, I feel like I've got good taste when it comes to what I feel like people want to hear about a certain yeah. subject, a topic, a feeling. And so I just I just lean into my instincts and I just only trust that
0: yeah well that's great though that you've got it all under that one umbrella the one feed because the temptation would be to have them as separate feeds wouldn't it but um having it under the one feed that it's effectively curate you you know you're the curator of these shows it's a really good idea but you mentioned as well that you you know i mean it's clear listening to just one heat minute things have evolved significantly in terms of how you record just over that but then you were talking about the new the newer shows where it's completely different format you did you mentioned that um, you know, the way that you make the shows and the way that you record and edit has evolved. Just tell me a bit about that. How how much has it changed from those early days?
1: Oh, early days, it was like a shitty Yeti mic, which I still hate. <laughs> and <laughs> an extremely rudimentary editing style, top and tail, very simple. All I was thinking about was how do I churn these out and make it easy for myself? Very little editing. Yeah. The luxury though, I got very good during my radio practice days when we started that podcast a long time ago, it was called that movie show a million years ago of learning how to talk and keep things steered along the way, steering a conversation, being languid, not getting caught in too many traps and just instinctively knowing how to talk to people who've done a stack of interviews. So I got pretty good at like just steering a conversation. So it didn't need as much, didn't need a lot of editing. And then I designed the shows and I always know how the show is meant to sound. And so I kind of had a good feeling with that, especially with the minute ones, you know, especially all the president's minutes, it might be sacrilege to say that like all the president's minutes might be a better show than one hit minute. It just mm-hmm. might be because I got better mm-hmm. and I had better equipment and I was a better editor and I was talking to so many people that I got so good at that. Yeah. I got so good at interviewing uh, during that show. I feel like even more than one heat minute that uh, it's kind of easy for me. And I, and, I, and all I have to do, and you might have this too, guys, like all I have to do is be prepared for the things that I want to say. And I don't overindulge. Like I don't like go, all right, I've got half an hour of material and this interview guest only needs it. I, I actually don't really, I hate myself now. I don't want to talk. Like I want to engage with what my guests are talking about. I'm really selfless yeah. like that. I want I really want to have my mind changed or have something mm. new. Like there's nothing like someone having a new take on a film that I feel so familiar and strong with like gets me excited. Like some people are like, "Oh, that's a shit take. Oh, I didn't think that. And it's like, well, who cares? Like yeah. that, the whole point of criticism is that it is going to inflame something in you. seeing yeah. something slightly differently. empathy. that's what movies actually are meant for. And so I, I love that, that when that comes up and someone gives me a new take on something that I've never thought of before, oh, I love that. I love it. It gets me so happy. So yeah, that's where I think it's, it's evolved is I firstly started on that, like how can I make this where I don't have to edit it? And now I'm like, depending on the show, um, it can be something like, I know I've had an hour interview with someone And I get a sense from the interview whether it's great and it's going to be impossible to cut. And sometimes that's a tragedy, but it's like, oh my God, that was so good. That was 40 minutes and I really only need 20. And that was all so good that I don't want to lose it. But for some of my shows now, I'm trying to squash it to think of what what is the most consumable for the listener and the re-listens. So yeah, actually now I'm getting excited about Oh God, how do I turn that half an hour? How do I turn that hour, which was absolutely fire into 26 minutes? Like, could I just, could I be an artful enough editor who has the right choices to make this like mind blowing nonstop for a listener for 26 minutes? And that's fun. Then you interview someone or you interview four people and you're like, okay, I'm going to interview for 20 minutes at most. I need four minutes of fire because I've got enough content to put around that. And so that's another fun challenge I'm trying to do for myself is like, how do you just maintain just an un, a podcast that makes you stop in your tracks versus a podcast you can passively listen to and wash the dishes, you know?
0: Yeah, I get what you mean. It's a, it's a fascinating sort of evolution, isn't it? of, I mean, I think particularly for, I mean, I've experienced something similar myself, you know, working in radio and podcast, you start off with doing things very simply, but then as you, it's almost like Neo in the Matrix, isn't it? You start to, you can do the the simple things without even thinking. So then you start to think, okay, I can go a bit deeper now. I can start to do different things with this audio. And so it's really, I mean, it's fascinating to have heard that journey with you as you make the podcast. I have to say, actually, though, there's something, I'm sure you, I'm not see, I'm interested to hear what you think about this, but particularly with the the first sort of, 30, 40 episodes of one heat minute and I think this is true of podcasting in general with a lot of podcasts it's something very endearing about hearing someone work out how to make the podcast as they're making it it's it's amazing um so I love that part of it
1: when we made those like I was figuring it all out I was learning how to edit it all myself I was doing it it was very simple it wasn't you know it was no not the fine machine that I that I am as an editor and a producer now as back mm. then I was just like fumbling my way through. And it's so funny that I I remember it distinctly. I did an episode with a guy who's a friend and um, it was like 60 episodes in and my friend Stu was listening along the way and it was about 60 episodes in. And, he, you know, for anyone who knows Stu, knows him from the show because he was like a, such a massive part of it. Yeah. And he, he, it was like 60 episodes in. And he goes, you know what? I think you've got something here. <laughs> and I go, 60 eps in. <laughs> 60 eps in he's like yeah you found it you found it he's like you got like and not in a bad way he wasn't taking the piss he was just like no genuinely like the sound of the show is now unmistakable like yeah you've mastered the simple editing you don't do a lot of editing you've mastered the format of the show it works it runs smoothly. It, you know, your introductions are great. Like the closeouts of the show, the welcome to the next thing, the confining the people to things like you got it. Like you got it. Yeah. And I was like, and I knew exactly what he meant because at that point I felt like, oh, I can talk to anyone mm-hmm. on this show and I can make it I can make it I can make it work. And yeah. So it's it's it those ones were endearing and I love listening to them. But at the same time that's why like in some ways I go with the greatest respect to the show. Like I love it. Mm -hmm. And I was learning a lot. It was the biggest learning curve and it changed my life and it continues to change my life. Mm. But then I listened to something like all the president's minutes and I'm like, Oh, I was so, I was good. I had better equipment. I edited better. I was more I was more aspirational with how I wanted to do certain things. I had readings, I integrated, I had clips, I had this, I had that. I was just starting to get more bold. And then like other shows that were happening concurrently all taught me all these lessons that I just have adopted in everything else that I do. So it's, it's sort of changed, but I, don't get me wrong. I do love one heat minute. I will never not love it. It's my whole life.
0: What I would say to that is, yeah, it's all it's all a question of where you are at that moment, isn't it? So if, when you're doing all the president's minutes, those things feel bold then. But the fact that you started one heat minute and did episodes one to ten, that was the most bold thing you could possibly the... do. You know, at that pr- no, at I, that I, moment. So it. And I, I, I moment... must say, it is. There's something very endearing about and it's something really nice about going on that journey with someone as they're making the show. I I loved that part of it. The fact that you were getting better at making the show as we went along, it was, that was a, yeah. an essential part of it. Really. It was great to hear that.
1: And oh, that's what the more people that came to it, the more I focused on it, the better I got the more yeah. tricks that I learned with the tools that I had. And that's why I love that show Yeah, is because people did come and they kept coming. Yeah. And then when the show grew, the reputation grew, and then just random stuff started happening. Yeah. Like, oh, Manola Dargus, my favorite <laughs> film critic who is alive, comes on the show. Yeah. Like three times. There's no right for me to just be talking to Manola Dargus, like, no. you know, that, that in the, with the greatest is, like, "Oh, of course I'll do that." And then this person <laughs> comes on and this person comes on and you're just like, "This is just Crazy and yeah, so yeah, that's where I go, you know. And it was just like listening, continuing to listen, getting better, and now, yeah, I I still get emails, I still get emails about one heat minute. Mm. I couldn't, I honestly can't believe it. I don't know what else to say to the people who send me the emails other than like you have no idea how much it means to me. Yeah, because my the podcast is my art. This is my creative outlet, and. I could not be happier that it has resonated with so many people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a brilliant thing. And I did the same thing, didn't I? You know, when I started listening to it, I got a few episodes in and I was like, because I think it's a, podcasting is, is such a, cause you say, you said earlier, it's such a personal thing. Listening to podcasts, isn't it? You know, you, yes. most people listen by themselves in headphones when they're doing something by themselves. Um, you don't really sit down altogether and listen to a podcast. And so it's a very personal thing. And so for for someone like me who, you know, loves heat and your passion just came through so strongly through the podcast, I just felt compelled to email you to say, you know, (laughs) I love this show. Thank you for making it. And there's something about that um, because, and, and I think what's great about the show, just talking about the technical aspects is the passion trumps everything, doesn't it? Passion trumps low quality equipment or, you know, breaking up lines because you 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 will you will continue to listen because of the passion that's what brings you to the show and what keeps you coming back and I think that's what you've done so brilliantly with this show and with the other shows too it's just oh thank you you, you. know it's just like, it's infectious it's infectious and it's it's just great to to hear people hear someone talk about something that you love with the same passion that you have and I think that's that's what you've tapped into
1: oh thank you because honestly I made the show in retrospect that would have been my favorite show, like <laughs> I would have demanded to have been like a permanent co-host of One Heat Minute if it existed in the world. <laughs> and the fact that I was the host yeah. is the best decision I've ever made because I love it. yeah, I love it <laughs> and I it's just you know, I can't help it I like I've thought about everything you can think of with that movie. I love it. And I love talking about things that I love because I am a very passionate person. And the things that I love, I love them hard. I love my friends hard. I love my family hard. Like I, you know, people who are in my life, if I, if they're part of my, my close network, like I, I love my friends. I love the thing. I love the the music I listen to. I obsessively listen to it. Like that's the only, the things that, I can do, I and if I'm proud of one thing is like, you know, people used to say like describe me like, oh, he's really passionate, you know, he's a passionate like but usually when I'm talking about things that I love. Mm. And so if I could tap into that and exercise that muscle and throw that passion out, that's that makes me really proud because you know, I like the show started with a crass statement. <laughs> it started with me saying to Stu Coot and Garth Franklin you know, Stu giving me the I've what I've called like the Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Goodwill Hunting intervention talk of like, <laughs> what do you what do you really want to do? What do you yeah. really wanna do? And I said, I just wanna fucking talk about heat every day. <laughs> that was my like exclamation. And yeah. he said I'd listen to that. And it changed my life.
0: That was the moment.
1: And uh that was the moment. And honestly, it is life changing mm. um and so yeah the fact that other people have been able to come along on that journey and enjoyed it and loved that it started literally in a spare room and then became you know now what i call my office which is my podcast studio mm-hmm. and the equipment has drastically changed and my ability to talk about this stuff has changed i just yeah i'm i, I feel special and i i feel very gracious talking to you about it cuz it's just like um It's you don't pause sometimes because you're always thinking about the next thing, but it is really nice to just take the quickest of moments to go. You know, thank you. Yes, I'm proud. I'm
0: really proud of it. Yeah. Well, you should be. And you're right. It's very hard um, to stop and savor those moments, isn't it? But you, yeah, you should do when you get the chance. Um, What about the future then? Just finally, you know, like what I know that you're still making one heat minute productions, but and, and you said you got some secret projects. But is is the is the plan just to to keep going with one minute productions, essentially, and and keep coming up with fresh ideas and fresh content for that, and your Patreon subscribers, as you said, and the listeners.
1: Yeah, look, that's the that's the plan. I I um I think what I'm I just love the medium. I love mm-hmm. podcasting because of its fluidity. So I want to do different kinds of shows that kind of tap into all the exercise, all the different muscles. I want to keep doing that. But I genuinely, yeah, I just look at projects that you know, because I'm kind of that obsessive person, I find the thing that I want to talk about obsessively and I really want to explore it because Mm. also there's that thing, there's that weird thing is like, it's a bit of a, like a personal reflection of like, why does this thing matter so much to me? And why do I, why, why am I abandoning the idea of like finding something new because I'm so obsessed with this thing. So yeah, I just want to keep going. I want to keep doing stuff that excites me and freaks me out. And you know, like not one of my secret projects, this is a sort of on the record project, but like, my friend Jen Johans and I, we both love the movie Midnight Run with Robert oh, De Niro and Charles Grove. We love it. Yeah. So It so it's a terrific movie and we're excited. We're going to do it like a mini series on it called Midnight Run Through. Mm-hmm. And so for example, we were thinking like, how are we going to do this, right? And I'll just give you an example of like what gets me excited about doing the different projects we're doing. I said, we should duly produce it. We should do it. We can put it on both of our pod feeds. It'd be super fun to work together. I love her. She's one of the smartest film minds I know. And she's like a big sister. And um. We're talking about it. How are we going to do it? Okay, we'll get these guests. Yeah, okay, we'll do this. And then and then you go, well, we maybe could get De Niro. Like, <laughs> it's not impossible. And so you go, okay, well, maybe we can do that. And you're like, oh, Mar- maybe Marty Riddle want to talk about it. He's the filmmaker who made it. And you're like, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, that'd be great. And then and then something happens, Guy. And this is where I'll sort of share like a bit of our secret sauce. It's like, well, it's a real tragedy that like Yafet Kotto who is in Midnight Run, is passed. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Farina, the great legendary Michael Mann alumni, Dennis Farina, is passed. And you're like, oh, that's devastating. And Charles Grodin's passed. And you're like, oh, okay. And then I'm sitting down this year watching The Last Movie Stars, which is a great Paul Newman and Joanna Woodward documentary that Ethan Hawke directed. And it's a bunch of interviews with people acting out these transcriptions from interviews that they were eventually going to put in a memoir. And I went, hold on a second. What if I went back and did my research and found every interview that Yafet Kodo, Charles Grodin, (laughs) or Dennis Farina ever did where they were talking about this movie. (laughs) And do I happen to know some great voice actors who are friends who would like to be a part of it? So maybe we turn this thing into a definitive oral history of this thing with people who are both alive and dead. Wow. And you go, now that's scary and exciting. And I have to direct people to their performances. And it starts being like this thing of like, Oh, this is fascinating. This could be really fun. And then blending that with a great dialogue with awesome people an awesome collaborator like Jen, who is one of the best research people I know and one of the biggest cinephiles and just an amazing writer, author, everything. She's the best. So then us working together and mind melding how we figure out this process, me having this exciting, thrilling, scary thing, that's the kind of projects I just love finding. I love finding the thing and then finding the way the, the text tells me to speak it out. And so like Podcaster and Commander, which is coming in January, has the greatest secret weapon of all time, which is it's not like Peter Weir who did his first interview in 10 years with, and I have a crazy story about how he did it or yeah. me talking to John Colley who's the writer for like hours about everything about how he wrote the film with Peter Weir. It's I just happen to by like pure circumstance live next to like an Australian theatre critic who's retired and he's in his eighties right? and we just moved next to each other. We, we have, we share the same wall. Right. Um, and he's a lovely man and he used to do Australian radio reviews for theater. And his voice is going to be the voice largely that introduces and houses and catches some of the great stuff that we're going to do in the production for master and commander, because, I've got this guy's voice who almost sounds like a he could be <laughs> reading straight out of O'Brien as an audiobook and he's going to be the voice. And so there's these, sometimes these things, that's all I can describe it as guys. Like that's the future for me is like, yeah. it is not only the project and it's not only the film, it's how whatever weird way that my brain works that I translate it and go, how, how does this project speak to me that it should be alive in the world for people to listen to? What's going to excite me creating it and challenge me, like make me sit stumped at a freaking computer terminal. Like I'm doing so often and go, Oh, how, it's not working, yeah. you know, but uh, that's the stuff that gets me really excited. Cause then when I break it and it works, I'm like, Oh, there it is. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to keep doing. Everything's under One Heat Minute Productions because that's the brand. You know, yeah. the people who've been following us now for like four or five years. They, I think, what what I've loved about our listeners is that they'll seem to follow us wherever we go because they love our enthusiasm and our passion and our intent for every project that we do. They know we're going to dive deep. They know we're going to be relentless. They know we're going to have a take. Um, and increasingly, they know that the quality of the different work and the melds of the way that I'm able to sort of thatch these things that I want to say together um, has just gotten better. So that's yeah, I, it's always that, and it's just whatever, whatever is the next thing in the ether, and then it has to inspire me to do a very unique, specific take on the material.
0: Oh, it's so exciting! It's on a genuinely, it's it's you've come. As someone who's listened to the start of One Heat Minute and listening to you talk now, just to think how far you've come from those first days to now talking about this kind of ambitious show. I mean, it's incredible. So, you know, I'm I'm absolutely delighted for you. And it's been brilliant to talk to you about the show and about how you got started and about everything. And Blake, I'm so pleased that you've come on Creative Forces. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I loved it.
1: I can't tell you how thrilled I am to chat about it. It's awesome to talk shop. And it's nice that you've I just want to say thank you for reaching out. Thank you for listening. Just firstly, thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, my friends do take the mickey. Uh, you know, some people now, they're like, oh, should I listen to your podcast? I go, no, <laughs> just don't start. Like, don't even start. It's a real commitment. And anyone who does, commitment. I'm just like, I'm. it's a commitment. I'm like, look, you know, some people, you know, you know, my friend jokes, she's like, what more could you say about heat? You talk for 130 hours, you know, my best mate. But she listened to every episode; she loved it too. And yeah. and so, yeah, I would just say, look, thank you genuinely for asking me. It's a tr- it's a treat. It's nice to talk about the the process stuff. Yeah. Um. It's nice to take pause for a quick second because, um. You do do it in a vacuum, right? You're making the stuff that you get excited about and you do throw it out there and publish it to the world like instantaneously. And you're like, okay, I hope they like it. You don't know. You don't know what's going to bite. And so when some of these things come together and they bite and people are really interested or inspired or impressed, I'm just, all I can say is thank you. Like, thank you for your interest. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for chatting to me. I'm just, I'm chuffed. So thank you.
0: Amazing. Keep doing what you're doing, Blake. Thanks, man. I will. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you want to get in touch about anything you've heard on the podcast or you want to just talk to me about anything or let me know any suggestions about people or anyone, you th- anything you think I should know, please do. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on creativeforcespod at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Twitter. You can get in touch that way, creativeforcesp on Twitter or you can just message me directly on Twitter, Guy Kilty that's G-U-Y-K-I-L-T-Y uh, on Twitter, so you can find me there please give us a follow uh, also give us a rating or a you know um, review in your podcast app that'd be really appreciated, it really helps for other people to be able to find it then um, anything you can do to support the podcast, if you enjoy it would be very much appreciated and as I say, I'd love to hear from you, so please do get in touch thanks for listening see you again soon